We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash lawless. Just go to Indeed.com slash lawless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed com slash lawless. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. You know, it's a common misconception that drinking eight glasses of water a day is enough for healthy hydration. But sweat consists of water and sodium, which means that you need water plus electrolytes to stay properly hydrated. Thankfully, there are products like Element that have all your electrolyte needs covered. You can try an Element Recharge Sample Pack by going to drinklmnt.com slash Alexi for only the cost of shipping. Hello, sunshine. I'm Alexi Lawless, and welcome to the State of the Union podcast, where we look at the beautiful game on and off the field through the lens of red, white, and blue-colored glasses. This week, we'll be continuing our talk about Euros as they roll on, Copa America as it rolls on, the return of Major League Soccer, uh, Downton Abbey, our continued (laughs) foray into the Downton Abbey uh, world, and so much more. But first, joining me, as always, my friend, my colleague, my guiding light, David Mossy, a soccer savant and a Fox soccer researcher and writer extraordinaire. Mossy, how are you on this Tuesday, June 22nd in the year 2021? I am doing well, although this is going to be a very uh, disappointing opening segment for me because uh, I got nothing new on the television front. So my dad, who has been a critic of mine, my lack of contribution this opening segment is going to feel vindicated after this week's pod. Did we not make it abundantly clear last week how our listeners enjoy your uh, suggestions, not because of the entertainment value, but because uh, you are more often spot on when it comes to what you are recommending? But listen, I, I can forgive you, and I, and I want the listeners and the viewers out there of the State of the Union podcast to understand that our friend Mossy is under a tremendous amount of stress and strain. And that happens when you are an incredible talent. We rely on David Mossy for a lot of stuff. And he is, as we've said uh, time and time again over the last couple of weeks, knee deep in Copa America. That's just going to go right into Gold Cup. And so much so that we are going to try to limit today's State of the Union pod to an hour. We're going to attempt this. As those of you that are faithful listeners and watchers know that when we first started this pod, 
it was pretty limited to an hour. We were pretty good about making it an hour. And then the pandemic happened and something, you know, things changed, right? And it ended up being an hour and a half, almost two hours at different times. We haven't gotten a lot of complaints necessarily about the length of the podcast. And look, in the podcast world, you look at uh, Joe Rogan or anybody. I mean, there's a three-hour podcast and stuff like that. We haven't gotten a lot of complaints. But Mossy did make a slight request before we came on air to make sure uh, that we at least try to limit it today because he's got a lot to do. And I want to respect that, Mossy. So the fact that you don't have anything television-wise, I think it only is... I'm not not going to yell at you too much because I think it shows how knee-deep you are and how uh, focused you are on getting all of the research uh, done. Has it it been... Has it been a problem, Mossy, in terms of uh, the amount of pressure that you are under? No, I'm getting through it. I mean, there are worse jobs in the world than having to put together research notes for Messi and Neymar and Copa America games. So uh, what is you the, get enjoyment out of it, but it, it is. Let's, let's, let's get a little peek behind the curtain. What is the bane of your existence when it comes to tournament research uh, in normal circumstances? And then maybe in particular, what's going on with uh, Copa America? Well, today I have, you know, I put together this roster, uh, this document before the tournament with rosters from every team and caps and goals. And now because of an annoying request from uh, uh, one of our analysts, I have to go back and add jersey numbers to that document today. So that's going to be a pain in the butt. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I I made that request uh, yesterday. The talent, uh, you know, the ridiculous request request that they had. Yeah, so it had it had position. It had where the player plays. It had goals. It had caps. And yet I was having to cross reference the numbers. And and to be fair to you, Mossy, yes, it's just a column, but it's more work. And there there's the potential for (laughs) especially in Copa America, where it's kind of loosey goosey in terms of everything that's happening uh, for those numbers to change. So I do appreciate uh, I do appreciate you doing it has been you know, when we do when we do World Cups, there is a kind of an official way that FIFA does things and they have lineups specific as to the moment it comes out. It's pretty clockwork when it comes to FIFA. They have tactical lineups, which actually show us where everything is. Not so much when it comes uh, when it comes to Commonable and uh, what's happening with Copa with Copa America, but um, but like, thankfully we have people like David Mossy that are keeping us uh, keeping us in line. Now, have you been able to watch anything? I mean, have you watched any of Downton Abbey? Have not started yet because when I do sink my teeth into that, I want to be able to rip off a bunch of episodes in a row. So I don't want it to, this like stop start nature to it. So I am going to wait until we get through, as you mentioned, the, the uh, Copa America and the Gold Cup. So a little over a month from now is when I will start that and, and we'll really get going. Okay. Well, I am already knee, knee, deep, knee deep in it. I have uh, been able to get through the first uh, season. I think I'm into the second season right now. Oh, wow. Now. I, I, I get it to a certain extent. So once again, I don't want to give it all away and I don't want to spend too much time on, on Downton Abbey, but I get it. I have, I have thoughts. I have big thoughts. I'm going to reserve those for a little bit later when you start watching, watching it. And then we'll have our grand finale when we finally finish it all. And we're going to power through however long it takes, but I am, I am into it. I do look forward to watching whatever next episode is. I do find myself saying, all right, I'm going to get to this episode and then I'm going to turn it off and go to sleep. And yet I continue on. And I'm sure a lot of people out there are in the same type of predicament. Is your wife watching it as well? She has already watched it. And so she will come in and she will 
roll her eyes or, or say something smart ass uh, or even just kind of sit down and watch a little bit so she knows what's going on. But I have made her promise not to give anything away and not to come in and even directly or indirectly influence anything that is happening so that I can get the full effect of it. Perhaps when all three of us have watched it, we could have her on the pod as a guest to talk about it. Really? Would you like that? I don't, yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'm okay with that. Yeah. I have to ask her if she would want to do that. She's very, uh, private and, uh, very shy when it comes to things like that, but who knows? Stranger things have happened and we've had other interesting guests and, uh, she would definitely be interesting. All right. Well, maybe, maybe we'll do that. Um, so that's where, that's where I am from a television, uh, perspective. Uh, although the, uh, the Ted Lasso trailer came out this week and I know a lot of folks out there have been watching, uh, the first season, and now there's there's two more seasons coming uh, automatically, and the second season, the trailer is out, and it just even the trailer makes you feel happy about what's uh, potentially to come. And I thought I know a lot of people are looking for when that finally uh, drops from a soccer perspective. All right, Moss, you ready to light this candle? Yep. All right, let's get right into it. Um, we're going to start off with uh, um, Major League Soccer, which is back, and then we're going to get into Copa and Euros and stuff like stuff like that. But Major League Soccer came back. It came back. After a three-week hiatus out of respect for the international break and obviously the onset of these, uh, uh, these tournaments, tournaments happening, uh, happening this summer, it came back with a vengeance. Lots of different stories uh, and lots of uh, different things to talk about. You know, I think, I think let's start in Austin, shall we, Mossy? Absolutely. All right. So, look, it happens almost seemingly every year as Major League Soccer continues to expand and... Uh, new markets come into play, and within those new markets, these new stadiums. Austin, uh, the <laughs> the long and storied and even, uh, you'd say, controversial history when it comes to how this came to be, well, they finally got their moment. Austin finally opened up uh, their stadium and with their team, and it was a week where, actually, it was a soft launch earlier in the week with the U- United States women's national team uh, opening up the stadium, and then... Austin, the MLS team, uh, the main tenant and their home that was opened up on the weekend. And it's always it's always wonderful. And it's always interesting to see the people that have been there from the start, uh, even before an MLS team was, you know, a twinkle in anybody's eye. Uh, There were people there on the ground that were thinking about this. And then the whole way that it all came from Columbus and the pre-court controversy controversy and all of that kind of stuff. But then to see Austin uh, have this moment, this moment of celebration. Now, the actual performance on the field was not anything we're going to put in a time capsule, and they still haven't yet scored a goal because it ended up 0-0, but it was still a, a massive celebration. And even from afar, you could feel how important it meant, uh, how important it was and how much it meant to that city, um, and not just the soccer part of that city, to that city. And uh, we had our, uh, our friend Matthew McConaughey, who is the uh, Minister of Culture over there uh, with, with Austin, on hand, dressed from uh, head to toe in Verde, in green, which is obviously a uh, big theme, leading the chance. He had his bongos out, um, all of this kind of celebration for what hopefully is going to be a long and fruitful and successful place that becomes not just a place where you go to get, go and watch your team play, but a communal type of uh, cathedral and uh, religion to give you give you a place where everybody comes together. And from the outside, 
It looked it looked great. I can't wait to actually get there and see what everything is, not just in the 90 minutes that happens in the game, but the lead up to the game, the experience in the stadium, what that stadium means to that community, to that area, and ultimately to uh, to this soccer team. So that was was fun to see. This Matthew McConaughey uh, situation over there, Mossy. You know, we uh, we actually brought him up on the uh, on the Copa America coverage this uh, these past couple of days. Does do you think that it gets to a point where it gets too much uh, and people are over it and pe- people start rolling their eyes and not from the outside because who gives a crap what people from the outside think? But on the inside, do you think that that it it will it will wear off in time? I do, especially if uh, the team struggles on the field. They are winless in six, as you mentioned. Listen, he's playing his part right now. I mean, he's meant to be a cheerleader. He's not a soccer guy. It's not like David Beckham in the sense that he's actually meant to contribute in terms of acquiring players and making soccer-related decisions. Matthew McConaughey is a celebrity owner in a totally different sense from David Beckham. So he's doing what we want him to do right now. I mean, he's invested and he's excited and he's trying to pump everything up. But yeah, if they keep struggling on the field, eventually this this is going to get old, yeah. Yeah, I mean, if the most interesting and entertaining part of your team is your owner playing bongos and wearing a green <laughs> suit, then you are going to have problems. And look, that is that is not to say that this team hasn't already been successful. Let's be honest. We've seen uh, MLS teams that have gone on the road for extended periods of time and then come back to their, their stadium and have had much fewer points than uh, I think the point per game ultimately that Austin was able to achieve in this, in the, in this stretch. But now you got to amass points at home and you got to give those people in that cathedral something to scream and yell about and be, uh, and be excited about. And it's, yeah, I, I don't, I think that, but I think Matthew McConaughey is a smart guy. I think he understands that this was needed. This is part of his, of his job as an owner to use that celebrity and to use that attraction that he, that he garners and bring people in uh, that otherwise wouldn't even maybe even know about what's uh, what's going on. But it, but it has a, a limited shelf life, and he I think he understands that, and I think he will probably transition out of the you know the much more overt type of minister of culture and kind of also kind of hand it off to in, in the very capable hands of the supporters group and that supporters culture that is continuing to grow. The different supporters groups they have, the different traditions that they have or will create going uh, going forward. So right now it, it's all good. It's fun. I don't think that there was any any part of it that was cringy, unless maybe you're from Columbus and no matter what they do, it's going to be, it's going to be uh, uh, negative and cringy uh, for them. But I think in general, it was, it was fun. It was great to see. What do you got? Speaking of, it was somewhat fitting that on the same day that uh, Austin played their first match at their new stadium, uh, Columbus played their final match at, at Columbus Crew Stadium, which was the first soccer specific stadium in MLS history. They mm-hmm. Chicago 2 0, Jossie Zardis with both goals. Uh, we were there for MLS Cup last year. Uh, you played in that stadium. I'm, I'm sure that uh, evoked some emotions in you. Yeah, it was, uh, you know, there's a lot of stadium types of moments this past uh, week and this past weekend. And, you know, historic Columbus Stadium for what it is meant to Major League Soccer, for what it is meant to American soccer, let's be honest. So it has the association with the U.S. Uh, men's national team and women's national team, but certainly from a men's perspective, the Dosa Zero types of things and those historic games that were played there and specifically why the U.S. men's national team chose to play uh, their games and very important games and take teams to that because of the incredible support that they have gotten there. 
And then from an MLS perspective, back when it opened up, uh, I remember uh, at that point I was, I was, what was I playing? I think I was playing in Kansas City for the Kansas City then Wizards at the time. And when that opened up, I vividly remember watching, seeing it on television for the first time, walking into a bar and seeing it up on television and mistaking it for a European uh, broadcast. And that's how important and monumental it was and how different it was from our traditional American broadcasts in American stadiums. And a lot of these stadiums were were shared and predominantly made for football. And so the sight lines were different. The just the 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 optics were just so different in terms of how it broadcasts. And it fundamentally changed everything. And let's be honest, it's a glorified high school stadium. Okay. And yet it was so important. There is no then Home Depot Center a, a few years later without it. And so you gotta start somewhere. And so kudos and thank you and hats off and tribute and respect uh, to Lamar Hunt and to the Hunt family for for establishing that at a time when the soccer-specific stadium wasn't really something that we talked about. And in doing so, setting a marker uh, that then everybody that came after said, we are going to beat. And, you know, yes, Phil Anschutz uh, with the Los Angeles Galaxy and then the Home Depot Center uh, completely took it to a whole nother level, but you got to start somewhere. And so it was wonderful for them to finish it. And by the way, Columbus is moving into an incredible stadium, uh, you know, this 2.0 when it comes to soccer-specific stadiums. Uh, but to have that last moment and to see Jassy's artist, who has meant so much to the Columbus uh, crew organization, especially after everything that the Columbus crew has been through over the last uh, last couple of years, to have that moment of celebration with fans back in. And by the way, for the most part, it was 100% capacity in the league uh, this past week. And there were a couple of different things. You know, you had um, Portland, which, you know, Portland's going to Portland, right? They they had 80% capacity or something like that. It's just this, this random 80% number. And I'm sure that there's a reason for the number. And Merritt Paulson up there will tell me why. But it was 80% capacity. Okay, fine. You want to do 80%? Fine. Most of the places were 100% capacity. So it was great to see these huge uh, and big crowds back and everybody in uh, you know, back in celebrating and cheering and doing all of that. There were, you know, Toronto still that's playing down in Florida doesn't have a crowd and uh, and NYCFC is still playing over at Red Bull Arena. So there's still some weird stuff going on, but it was great to see the crowds back and people able to sit there and to cheer and to stand and to sing and to do all the different things that we've missed uh, for so long at a at a level that we haven't seen since uh, since pre-pandemic. What you got, Mossy? Uh, well, you mentioned uh, Portland and Toronto. Um, Portland beat Sporting KC 2-1, and they got Sebastian Blanco back. He came on as a sub in that game, his first appearance of the season. Uh, Toronto lost 3-2 to to Orlando. Uh, Pozuelo made his first start of the campaign. He had come on as a sub in the previous game against Columbus. And Daryl DK made his 2021 MLS debut, which is something I did not think was going to happen. I, I must confess, I thought he'd get snapped up right after the, the loan with Barnsley. He might still go before the end of this European summer window, but the, for now, he's an Orlando City player game, which is obviously an incredible addition. And so just an overall injection of talent in the league, getting guys like Blanco and DK and Pozuelo back on the field, it's good news. More stars to follow. Huh? Well, okay, so you mentioned uh, the Daryl DK situation, so let's let's uh, dive into that for a second here. I, I like you. That was that was surprising. I mean, look, he's, he's, an, he's an MLS and Orlando player, so it's not necessarily you know, surprising that he is playing for the team that he is part of. But given what has happened over the last uh, four months, five months uh, with his loan, um, 
does do you think that this is a is is a problem in that do you think that this means that all the hype that was attached to him isn't isn't as much as we thought it was going to be do you think that there's actually isn't going to be a move do you think that orlando has said uh, has set the price too high or you know why do you think this is happening I think Orlando have made the calculation that the more he plays, the more his stock is going to go up, uh, which is taking a little bit of a chance because he could get hurt. Right. He could have a dip in form, but uh, no, they really believe in his talent. And so that they think the longer they hold on to him, they're actually going to be able to sell him for more down the road. And there's a chance that he could also be playing for the U S uh, in, uh, in gold cup too, which, you know, if he has a, another great tournament. So yeah, maybe it's a calculated risk, but it is a risk um, ultimately. And, if they have a bird in the hand uh, right now in terms of, of offers, they're saying no. They think with time and with more games here, maybe later on in the summer, he becomes that much more uh, that much more valuable. We benefit from an MLS perspective, and Orlando benefits because you have a great person, uh, a great person and player on the field that we get to see actually uh, actually trying to uh, to score goals. Speaking of goals, Mossy, did you watch uh, any of the Atlanta game, uh, the Atlanta Philly game? Uh, I know where you're going. I received a couple of uh, tweets about the Glessner strike because you might recall I previously went on a rant on this pod about how it drives me crazy that it's always these long distance strikes that win the AT&T Gold of the Week awards. I will say I have no issue if Glessner wins it, but I stand by my overall point that uh, I'm, I'm way less impressed by a center back closing his eyes and striking a ball from 30 yards out and having it go in the top corner as opposed to a well-worked team goal like some of the goals that Belgium has scored at the Euros or a play where a guy dribbles past three defenders and flots home. So I stand by my overall point, but this one was absolutely amazing. I'm not going to deny that. Well, how dare you? No, what do you <laughs> Oh, it's absolutely amazing after you just said it's basically a, you know, a, a, a person who, who doesn't even have any real skill or ability just closing <laughs> his eyes and hitting it from, and you said 30, by the way, it was more than 30. Okay. When he hit it and it was a screamer. And what makes it so impressive is, uh, what, you know, I was talking about before the pandemic, the last game before the pandemic was we actually did LAFC in Philadelphia in which he scored. And that one, it wasn't even the run of play. It was actually a free kick, uh, another screamer like that. So he does have it evidently in his arsenal to be able to do this or, or it's just two complete anomalies that have, that we have been able to see. And we are the beneficiaries because as you said, it was incredible. Now Atlanta in that moment loses the three points uh, and only has, and has to settle uh, has to settle for one in front of another huge crowd there. Um, but if you're gonna, if you're going to give up a goal, let it be a screamer like that. And if you haven't seen it, I tweeted it out. You should go find it. It is, it is phenomenal, especially you can, it's it hits the stanchion and it makes that noise and it's just it's just sick in the best possible way. Uh, what else, Mossy? From an MLS perspective, thirty-five yards is uh, is what uh, our good friend uh, Jeff Fernandez is saying uh, over here. But I, I don't know. I mean, if that's the official word, fine. So it's we're, we're going to split the baby here. Um, Mossy, what else? Uh, that, that, did you uh, did you watch any of the, the Sounders who are right now yeah, the best? That's team where in I was going to go next. Yeah, uh, yeah. Seattle benefiting from the fact that Raul Ruiz Diaz was somewhat surprisingly left off the Peru Copa America roster, and so he's playing for them. He scored. They beat the Galaxy two one. Um, LAFC dominated but held to a 1-1 draw by Houston. Diego Rossi is playing in these games, though. I know you felt like he should have been on the Uruguay Copa America squad. So uh, a lot of MLS players in Copa America, but MLS teams are benefiting in, in some instances from, from players being left off those rosters. Yeah, I mean, we're going to talk uh, you know, more about Copa America and you know, some of the, the problems that are, uh, that are associated with some of these teams there. But 
Um, yeah, I mean, a Diego Rossi, it, it blows my mind that he's not not involved. But to, to your point, we get the benefit uh, of it. Now, I guess we can finish it up here when it comes to Major League Soccer. Um, do you think, Mossy, that Bob Bradley is in jeopardy right now in terms of being on the hot seat from a coaching perspective? Because it has not gone well yet again this year for an LAFC team that we expect much more from and has plenty of talent uh, and has shown over the years that they are good. And Bob Bradley is a legendary coach right now, but it's just, it's not happening for LAFC. And there are not just groans. There are, there are, there's a faction out there that is really saying, Hey, something needs to change. And obviously you can't fire the whole team. I don't, I still think they're playing uh, better than the results and and the breaks will even out and they'll surge up the table eventually. And just overall, I think he's built up some currency there, winning the supporter show, getting to a CCL final. He's done overall an excellent job there. So I think even if this season ended up being a disappointing one, I, I wouldn't get rid of him. Yeah. I mean, I think he's going to get a, he's going to have a long leash and rightfully and fairly so, uh, given what he has done and, and what he has done isn't just about the wins and losses. I mean, he came in and basically established the identity and the personality and the character and the soul, if you will, along with others. But he was heavily and is heavily um, a part of defining what LAFC is. But in doing so, he has defined it as you know, a super club. They came into this league. There wasn't a soft launch. This was right from the get-go. This was a team that was going to compete. This was a team that was going to do things historically well, and they did. And therefore, you set a level of expectations. As I said, I don't think that there's going to be a change, but if this was Real Madrid, or if this was Barcelona, if this was another team, it, it wouldn't be of a question. You know, the fact that you are a living legend when it comes to the game, that's all fine, but Janet Jackson, what have you done for me lately? Um, I don't think that that's necessarily, like I said, going to happen with LAFC. But if you are truly this team that accepts nothing less than than greatness, then this is far from what you have promised yourselves and what you have promised everybody else. And um, we'll see if those changes changes happen. It's still a long season, still a long way to go. And as we get uh, get through summer... If if LAFC hasn't turned that corner and looking and looks like a team that is not just competitive but it is good, then I think those those calls are only going to get louder uh, because you have this incredible fan base that you have cultivated over the last years is based on giving them a team that is not just good but that is great and that is not what you have right now and. The leadership right now needs to figure out, is it a situation where these players are going to come good or is it a situation where whatever Bob Bradley has done has run its course and somebody else uh, could come in and do better with the, with the, uh, with the players that you have, uh, have at hand? I don't know. Um, like I said, I don't think that there's going to be changes. It would surprise me if there was uh, a change anytime soon when it comes to uh, Bob Bradley. Anything else from an MLS perspective out there, Mossy? That's it. Uh, that's it. Well, anyway, we're, uh, like I said, we're going to, uh, continue to talk about MLS. You know, we have, uh, MLS broadcasts that are happening. Uh, this week we'll be doing, uh, some MLS broadcasting. So it, it continues on. And as I said before, I love the fact that people are able to now go to the stadiums and experience. I was talking to someone that, and I'll, I'll end it here. Part of the experience was getting to see these people that you sit and stand and cheer and scream with, and they are around you. 
And a lot of times you're a season ticket. So it's the same faces, the same people that you are seeing. And for the last year and a half, for a lot of these folks, they haven't been able to have that, that relationship. And you might not even know these people. And the only reason that you've become friends with them is because of where your seats are in this experience that you have together. And I was talking to someone who finally got back and was able to see these people that he had become friends with simply by being a season ticket holder and to get back into that proximity and to be screaming and yelling and having a good time. That meant so much to him. And I'm sure it meant a lot to a lot of people who for the last year and a half haven't been able to, uh, to do that and certainly haven't been able to do it to the extent that we have seen uh, with this past week. And it's only going to get bigger as we continue on. So uh, enjoy your soccer out there, whether you're watching it on television or whether you are lucky enough to be able to go to it in person and have that experience again. Enjoy it uh, when it comes to Major League Soccer or any of the leagues that are uh, that are out there. All the different leagues that are happening, men's, women's, everything that's out there. A lot of these places right now, you are able to get tickets and you are able to go in uh, 100% capacity in most of the places out there. So enjoy it. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. All right, we're going to take a real quick break. When we come back, oh yeah, we're going to have uh, plenty when it comes to uh, Copa America and Euros. Don't go anywhere. I'm Alex Rodriguez And I'm Jason Kelly From Bloomberg, this is The Deal Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment that is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, we're back and uh, we are going to dig right into uh, Copa America, which we are well on our way and well into uh, right now. And it's been a really interesting tournament. For those of you out there who have watched it, you will know that right now there is Brazil and everyone else. And if Brazil were to lose this, it would not only be a historic failure as far as I'm concerned, but a, a massive, massive surprise. That's how good Brazil is. And obviously they are playing at home. Uh, and nothing that has happened yet, either in the way that Brazil has played or the way that other teams have played, can convince me otherwise right now. This is Brazil's to lose uh, so far, Mossy. Mossy, uh, how has your Copa America experience been? What have, you, uh, what have you seen? What has stood out to you on and off the field? Well, I've enjoyed the action uh, on the field. As we've talked about, the organization of the tournament has been a little wacky, so we've had to deal with that. But um, yeah, and, and actually what you just brought up is where I was going to go first. I think the the biggest uh, overriding question with this tournament right now is, is how big is the gap between Brazil and Argentina? I said last week, I didn't think it was as big as people were making it out. And if Brazil does play Argentina, and I suspect those two will meet in the final July 10th at the Maracanã, that it would be pretty close to a 50-50 game. Uh, My argument took a hit after this latest Argentina performance because their first two games were against uh, Chile and Uruguay. So, you know, not being overwhelmingly impressive in those two games, you could chalk it up to the quality of the opposition. But Paraguay is an opponent opponent that you'd think Argentina should should beat, not convincingly, but you know solidly. Uh, and they didn't. It was uh, kind of a labored one nil victory. Paraguay actually had more possession, um, and so. 
so yeah, you guys really laid into Argentina afterwards and, and it seemed like you and, and, and Stu and Ali on the desk are all now pretty convinced that the, the gap is fairly sizable between Brazil and Argentina, right? Uh, you know, we, we brought up my wife earlier and she even texted me during the Argentina game asking me, is Argentina playing soccer? <laughs> because she's seen enough soccer to know when it's good and when it's bad. And, 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 but I also brought up something on the broadcast that I think it's, that I think sometimes we, we forget or just don't want to look at. And that is this. Yes, Brazil absolutely is a, is a higher echelon. You know, however, this is 10 teams. All right, when we, you know, we're about to do uh, uh, Gold Cup coming up. And when we look at the amount of teams, uh, first off, when it comes to uh, CONCACAF here, but also the disparity between the haves and the have-nots, right? And U.S. and Mexico and, you know, that, uh, that upper echelon relative to so many other teams and small teams. Uh, it, it is amazing, the, the disparity. When it comes to, to Comnibal, yes, you have your, you know, your Vino Tinto of Venezuela that are oftentimes at the bottom, uh, the bottom end. But what separates it? I mean, it's all, it's all relative. And down in Comnibal, all right, the, the great and the not so great, there's, it's very, very competitive. And we are seeing just these 10 teams. By the way, there's no guest teams. It's just these 10 teams that have incredible familiarity uh, for playing each other just in friendlies and uh, in qualifying, which they've just, that's, which they're in the midst of. And after Copa America, they're going to go back to qualifying, playing against these same teams and these same players. And so I think that that, that, that parity that exists in Comnable is unique. It's even unique to, you know, for, uh, for example, uh, Europe, uh, where you have a real difference in the highs and the lows uh, out there. And I think you're, you're seeing some of that. All that said, though, I think that we in the world, once again, the expectation from a team like Argentina, given the talent that they have, and yes, given the history, is that they are going to be something better than what we have seen so far. Because even in this, this situation of parity, when we're watching Argentina play, um, it's, it, it, it lacks something. I mean, Messi gets the ball, runs 100 miles an hour at the opposition, Every once in a while, it goes off okay, but for the most part, somebody eventually triple teams him and they get the ball away from him. <laughs> and then they kind of re redo it and they'll give up a chance here or they'll make some boneheaded play here. There's no real flow. There's no real rhyme or reason. There's certainly no creativity or beauty associated with Argentina. And I know Argentina isn't always the most the most creative and there is a, a rawness about them. Um, that, is, that at times is, is wonderful and successful and, and even admirable and, and maybe in a certain sense pretty. But, you know, we talked last night about the, the lack of, of beauty and romance when it comes to South America. And in general, South American soccer, we kind of look to them to be that. And I know a lot of it stems out of Brazil. But in general, the types of players, the tradition, the history, the culture, the way that soccer is played there and the way that soccer is viewed there has made it so we expect something more than I guess what we're getting right now from Copa America. Is that fair? No, absolutely. Yeah, that, the center forward position is interesting for them. I like Lautaro Martinez, but uh, he hadn't scored in four straight games. He was poor against Uruguay. got replaced by Joaquin Correa in that game. Uh, and so uh, Scaloni decided to give Aguero a chance uh, against Paraguay. Aguero had played a total of 11 minutes in the first two games. And it's interesting because Aguero just signed with Barcelona. So assuming Messi resigns, those two are going to be playing together at club level. 
And you wonder how that's going to factor into Scaloni's decisions with the national team moving forward. But in any event, he gave Aguero a chance against Paraguay and Aguero wasn't very good. So they're still kind of searching for a center forward to put the ball in the back of the net there. Papu Gomez, a player who I love, uh, did score the goal and then they end up winning. And, and he also started Di Maria. So Messi had two of his buddies. It, it's a, that squad is an interesting blend between youth and experience. And Scaloni went with a little bit older lineup with Messi, Di Maria, and Aguero. Those three have combined 350-something caps. And Messi in this game, by the way, equaled Mascherano for the Argentina record at 147. So, yeah, Scaloni is still kind of trying to get the right combinations there. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be interesting. As far as Brazil... Uh, listen, I know Peru uh, beat Colombia, and I know Peru got to the final of the last Copa America, but but I still feel like this next game for Brazil against Colombia is a step up in class. There's a different feel in a game against Colombia than there is playing Venezuela or Peru. Um, so, you know, we're taping this on a Tuesday. Tomorrow, Brazil do face Colombia, and I'm curious to see how Brazil handled that game because I think it will be, like I said, a little bit of a step up from uh, the opposition they've faced uh, so far this month. So that game, I think, will tell us a little bit more about how big this gap is. I, if Brazil go out and, and, and take care of Colombia, no problem, then, yeah, my, my argument that the gap between Brazil and Argentina isn't that big is going to really take a hit then. Absolutely. And, and keep in mind, this is still a tournament, right? And, and by the way, this is a tournament of two groups of five. So rather than the, the, the three games that you usually get in a group, you get these four games and so everybody's jockeying and only two teams drop out. So you know, most of these teams are going to find a way to make it. And then that might be a change of philosophy and, and the clicking up a notch or two of the intensity that's going on. And there were a lot of reports yesterday before the game that Messi wasn't going to start and he ended up starting, but Scaloni did make six changes from the previous game. So yeah, the way these managers rotate their squads and are trying to use as many players as possible and give their stars rest, uh, Argentina clinched a quarterfinal berth. So now you think Messi wouldn't play the last group game against Bolivia, but that would create a pretty awkward gap between this this game and the quarterfinals because they're idle for a round. And then if he doesn't play against Bolivia, so Scaloni has to think about that. I'm wondering about Neymar with Brazil. They've clinched uh, a quarterfinal berth. So is he going to rest him for the last group game against Ecuador? So sort of load management here for the stars and just in general, how these managers rotate these squads has become a, a sort of a big talking point in this tournament. And, you know, watching, um, watching Paraguay and obviously a lot of focus and attention from a, a U.S. perspective, having seen... Miguel Amiron and, and what he is, um, it was really interesting because they use him in a much more central type of position. I mean, he is the playmaker for that team. And look, I, I'm, I'm not saying that Miguel Amiron is Lionel Messi. But what I'm saying is if you watched that game and if you watched uh, these teams during the tournament, um, Messi will drop deep. He will get the ball. And then one of the one of the most beautiful things is when he gets the ball, either beats a player or is past a player. And the ease in which, while having the ball, by the way, he creates separation. And he's one of those players, you, you see them through the generations, that have this innate ability to be faster with the ball than without the ball. And the way that Messi creates that separation, it's breathtaking. Yet, even in the same game, you are seeing Miguel Almiron take the ball and create that separation. I just thought that was that was amazing to see. And I'm not saying, once again, I'm not putting them on the same level. But in that moment, that ability to get the ball, turn and create separation was, uh, was pretty amazing to juxtapose the two and, and to see what was similar and what was different. And there was a lot of similarities in the way that they do. And I know they're different body types, but um, it was fun to see. Because we're used to seeing Miguel Amarillo much more in a wide type of situation, but he is the man that, uh, that drives that team, literally drives them forward in his ability, uh, in, in his ability to do so. 
Uh, and the other game that was interesting was Chile and Uruguay played to a one-all draw. Uh, Chile, I don't know what to make of them because all the articles I had been reading was about how there's this tremendous harmony in the camp and they all love uh, Martin Lazarte, the coach now. Uh, and then there's this barber incident with them letting a barber into the team hotel, uh, violating COVID protocol. Um, so yeah, we weren't sure what to make. Was he going to bench all the players that, that came in contact with the barber? And what was it? What was that going to do to the, the chemistry of the squad? But they still seem happy and they played a good game and they get a point, which was enough to move to the next round. Uh, while the other flip side is Uruguay, which I talk about a blend of youth and experience. You know, they, they're they're still trying to get that right. There, there are some really talented players in in the midfield, guys like Bentancur and Torreira and Valverde, and even younger guys like Facundo Torres and Brian Ocampo, who they hoped would emerge in this tournament. But then you still have Suarez and Cavani up there and Godin at the back, Muslera and goals. So trying to get that blend, uh, you know, both Uruguay and Chile have these golden generations, but they're, they're, they're hoping for inject some fresh blood into those squads, hoping something good emerges behind that those golden generation guys. And so, uh, I mean, what have you made of Uruguay so far in this tournament? <laughs> well, I mean, I think a lot of it is the same um, uh, when it comes to Chile and to Uruguay. I mean, age is just a number, except when your job is dependent on you being able to function from a physical perspective. And if you cannot do it because your body has changed and or broken down, then that, you know, that is a, that is a real uh, problem. And I'm not saying you don't get more mature and smarter as you get older, but there comes a point, you know, I've said time and time, Bruce Arena famously said the international game is a young person's game. And the problem I think for both of these teams is to your point, while there are younger players, when we see them, you know, unlike, you know, when the, when the U S plays where we get this hope that, Oh my goodness, this is, this is heading in the right direction. These players are only going to get better. I don't think that you, when you see some of the uh, the younger and the next generation of Chilean or uh, Uruguayan players, that you say, "Oh yeah, this is this is either going to be better than what we had, or at least able to live up to what we have." Which is why I think they're going to go with the ones that brought them. Um, you know, for the next year and a half, because the World Cups in November next year, I don't see Chile if they qualify or Uruguay if they qualify. I don't see them looking drastically different come November of 2022. Uh, Chile, at least have unearthed your favorite player of the tournament so far. <laughs> ben Brereton. Okay. A, uh, he does not speak Spanish and yeah, look, this is, uh, you know, this is, uh, this is from the soccer gods in terms of content out there. Okay. Um, and you know, peek behind the curtain. You are, you are hoping during tournament situations that these types of stories happen, uh, happen. So Big Ben just falls in our lap, manna from the soccer gods uh, heaven, right? And he is a player who has a a Chilean mother. He does not speak Spanish, uh, has played for England at the youth uh, setup, has grown up in England, is an Englishman, um, but has obviously the opportunity to play for uh, Chile, given uh, given his heritage um, and his uh, his mother being being Chilean, he has taken it, um, and he was really good actually. First game he scored, but I actually thought he was better yesterday. Uh, we're recording this on uh, on Tuesday. I thought he was better yesterday in the way that he played, holding up the ball, relieving pressure, making some really really smart runs, and maybe giving them something a little bit different. And so it's a fun story to follow. Uh, you should uh, you should check it out. Um, ben Brereton. 
Brereton, right? Am I saying that correctly? Correct. So that's a that's a fun story for Chile. But do you think do you think that either Chile or Uruguay is going to look drastically different come November of 2022 relative to what they are right now? And they you know they have they continue with qualifying uh, just around the corner here. Not really. I think Uruguay have more potential there. I, I do like some of their young players. Like I said, guys like Facundo Torres and Brian Ocampo, maybe somebody will emerge there. Hey, maybe Diego Rossi will find his way into that squad. That I mean, that for me, and look, I know I, I'm biased because we see him all the time. But when you have an Uruguay team that lacks any type of speed anywhere, this is a team that is crying out for somebody to be able to put the ball down take players on one-on-one and put the fear of God into the opposition so that they have to adjust. They have none of that. They have nothing They have nothing out wide when it comes to speed. They certainly don't have anything from when it comes to speed up top with, uh, with Cavani and Suarez, but you need someone to be able to provide. They also have no, nothing creative in that, uh, in that midfield, you know, uh, Lodiero type of, uh, type of situation uh, when, it comes, uh, when it comes to their midfield right now. So they have no speed. They have no creativity. They can't score goals. Other than that, Uruguay's doing great. Uh, but don't, uh, don't count them out because they do have that, uh, that history and that pedigree of just finding ways to win. It's interesting how at the international level, Brian Rodriguez it seems to be held in higher esteem than Diego Rossi while watching both of them in MLS. It's no question that, you know, we think Rossi's the better player. It's, it's, it's funny when there's that divide between club and country. Well, you know, we always say form is fallacy, right? And, uh, <laughs> you know, you never know ultimately what's going to, what's going to happen. Maybe this, maybe this Gold Cup will get uh, the uh, Uruguay Federation to open up their eyes and maybe be uh, looking or on the lookout for something uh, something different. All right, let's move on to the Euros. Um, where do you want to start with uh, with the Euros? I think you know while we look at the upper echelon of uh, of Copa America, when it talk when we, when it comes to Euros, and this is this is kind of a surprise and an emergence, if you will, albeit from a, <laughs> a classic and historic team. But I mean, a lot of people right now are 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 saying that Italy is the best team right now in the Euros. Would you agree with them? I do think they've been the best team so far. Three wins out of three, zero goals conceded. Uh, yeah, I was high on them going in. I, I rarely get anything right, but I was right about Italy. Um, Roberto Mancini, who, by the way, I never rated that highly as a manager before, but he's done a phenomenal job with this team. Uh, and, and and incidentally, another country that didn't qualify for the last World Cup, the Netherlands, uh, they're doing very well also. Uh, won all three group games. Frank De Boer, huh? who knew? Maybe he is a good coach and he just picked the la- wrong last three or four destinations. He just needed the right situation, okay? <laughs> all right? He just needed to have the stars align for him. Yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, and, and I know it's kind of funny what we're saying, hey, the Netherlands and Italy, how about that? I mean, <laughs> these two historically uh, incredible teams, but they have had those dips as we uh, as we talked about. And I think when it comes to Italy, there were less expectations uh, that it was going to be this good so quickly and in the way that they're doing it. So they're not only using, they're kind of taking the best of both worlds, that classic you know, uh, ability to defend and to stifle, which has resulted in not letting a goal in, but it's not as if they're, you know, they're parking the, you know, the bus or that they're, they're playing an unattractive style. 
Uh, and I think that's what gets people excited is that this is an entertaining type of Italian team that is also successful and doesn't simply rely on on a great uh, on a great defense. And the Netherlands, you know, stocked with talent, but maybe this is the time when they they finally able to translate that into uh, something great. And look, you're, you're going to have France and you're going to have Belgium waiting waiting in the wings and. You know, England. It may or may not be. Uh, it may or may not be uh, be coming home. Another great scene as uh, Denmark, which we know had such a uh, a horrible start to the tournament uh, with the Christian Eriksen type of thing, as they continue to roll on there. What else uh, stood out to you, Masi? Yeah, just one note on the Netherlands. Uh, Jorginho Wijnaldum just signed with PSG. It looked like he was going to go to Barcelona, but PSG swooped in. Barcelona didn't end up signing Memphis Depay, so they did get one Dutch player. Uh, but PSG fans are wondering which Jorginho Wijnaldum they're going to get because at Liverpool, he was very good, but he didn't score a lot of goals. He only had two Premier League goals in 38 appearances this past season. While with the Netherlands, he's this prolific goal scorer from midfield. He got eight in Euro qualifying and now has three already in this tournament. So it's going to be interesting how PSG uses him if Pochettino can use him in a, in a way where he's, you know, popping up and scoring lots of goals too. Um, you know, another interesting player of this tournament uh, is Alaba for Austria because they have this similar di- dilemma that Canada have with Alfonso Davies. Alaba at club level has now become a center back. That's how everybody views him. That's He played exclusively at center back for Bayern this past season. He just signed with Real Madrid. And every analysis I've seen of that signing is, is treating him as a replacement for Sergio Ramos. So that's all he's going to be there. Um, but you think with a team like Austria, can they afford to play probably their most talented player at center back? And so that's a dilemma that the coaches had. And, and at the start of this tournament, he did, uh, he's played mostly at center back, uh, but the, the coach has moved them around a little bit. And so, you know, that, that, that's been something kind of interesting to follow. All right. Uh, if you had to pick right now, uh, and as you mentioned, Italy has, uh, is perfect with three wins. Belgium is perfect with three wins. Netherlands perfect with three wins. Uh, And then the other groups, uh, you have the Czech, and we're recording, like I said, on Tuesday morning. And so Group D, uh, which includes England, they're going to continue to to play. Um, Sweden leading Group E and France leading uh, Group F. If you had to pick right now, who would you pick to to win the whole thing, Masi? Um, I think if the draw allows for this, I think we could be headed for a France-Italy final. I I do want to make one point about England. Now, uh, England play later today against the Czech Republic. So by the time you listen to this, Jaden Sancho could start today and score a hat trick. Who knows? Uh, but he hasn't played a minute in the first two games. And I've seen this coming from miles away. They've, they don't appreciate what they have there because they view everything through these Premier League guys. And the fact that he's over there in Germany doing what he's doing, uh, to me, he's always been sort of undervalued in that setup. And, and, you know, the fact that he didn't get on the field during that drab nil-nil draw against Scotland when they were screaming for an injection of creativity. And I'm sorry, they have to get over that. You know, people listen to this podcast know how I feel about Sancho. To me, he's just a cut below like that Mbappe Holland level. I consider him one of the handful best young players in the world. And with England, it seems like he gets tossed in the pile with a bunch of other guys and when he shouldn't be to me, he's clearly there. Well, along with Foden now, I mean, those two to me are clearly their most gifted young players. And so it's been frustrating to me to watch him be underutilized so far. Are you suggesting that this is punitive? Uh, are you suggesting that, you know, they have, uh, you know, England colored, glasses that everything is viewed through and that that bias 
is actually making them pick a team that is not the strongest team simply because this young man decided to go a different pathway and to go and play in the Bundesliga. I don't think it's punishing him. I just don't think they give as much weight to what happens in the Bundesliga. Oh, yeah, he's putting up these crazy numbers over there, but that's the Bundesliga. It's a one-team league. Who cares? A guy that's performing well week in and week out in the Premier League, that carries a lot more weight for a manager like Southgate than anything. Because if you... Imagine now, of course, I do think the Premier League is is better than the Bundesliga, but it's not that much better. And, you know, imagine if you took Jaden Sancho's numbers in the Bundesliga, 20 assists a season and and transferred over to the Premier League and a player was doing that. There'd be no question. The whole team would be built around him. But for some reason, because it's happening in Germany, they just it doesn't seem like they give it as much value. Do you think it's it's naivete? Do you think it's laziness? Do you think it's just systemic and that it's just built in? I mean, look, the, the, the opposite has often happened in terms of the way that we view English soccer. I mean, that, that whole trope of, ah, it's just, you know, they don't, they don't care about possession. They just kick the ball and uh, it's all about heading and everything is in the air. And we know that that's not necessarily the, the, the truth. But do you honestly think that the, the leadership and the coaching leadership when it comes to the England setup uh, either willfully ignores it um, or just doesn't doesn't understand it uh, or care about it or just hasn't watched a whole lot? Is that why they're at this point? You're saying in terms of Sancho over in the Bundesliga? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, honestly, most people in England don't watch anything other than the Premier League. And so they, they don't fully appreciate how good this kid is. I, I You know, and we, we, we covered the Bundesliga for many years, so we got to see it every week. I, I think he's a transcendent talent. Uh, and so uh, it's it's been frustrating to see him sitting on the bench there. Uh, by the way, I'll, I'll finish with this. I did mention uh, I think it's going to be an Italy-France final. The last Euros was France-Portugal final, and those two meet tomorrow. So really looking forward to that game. France and Portugal have played some famous uh, matches at the Euros over the years. In the 84 semis, uh, France won with a late Platini goal in extra time. Then in the 2000 semis, France won again with a late Zidane goal in extra time. And then, of course, the 2016 final, which uh, Portugal won 1-0 Edich with the extra time goal while Ronaldo was off injured. So, uh, so yeah, really looking forward to that one. That should be a terrific game. All right, so the Euros roll on. Anything else, uh, Mossy, from a Euro perspective? That is it. All right, we're going to take another quick break. When we come back, oh, yeah, it's time for Ask Alexi. Don't go anywhere. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, we're back and it's time for Ask Alexi. And once again, we have gotten a uh, a plethora of audio calls. And so we, are got, we picked three of them and we are going to play those. First one comes from uh, CW, uh, who has some, uh, some questions about our, our best all times. So let's hear what CW has to say. Hey, Alexi and Masi. Uh, my name is CW. I'm the head men's soccer coach at Cape Fear Community College and the owner of Wilmington Football Club in Wilmington, North Carolina. Love the podcast. My question for you is, you can only pick one male and one female to start your national team. And while it hurts me to leave Oguchi Onyewu out because he's my all-time favorite player, 
I'm going to go with Landon Donovan and Julie Ertz strictly because of versatility and the leadership that they bring. Just wondering who would you pick? I know there's a lot to choose from. Definitely very interested in Mossy. I think you're underrated on the podcast. Keep up the great work. I love to listen to it while I'm driving or while I'm in the office. Thanks. All right, uh, C.W., and I looked him up. Uh, I think his name is C.W. Ponton. He is the head coach, as he said, of the Cape Fear Community College and uh, one of the owners, I guess, of the uh, Wilmington uh, Football Club. Uh, So he has started his team, uh, all-time team in history, I guess, of U.S. players is what he's asking, with Landon Donovan and Julie Ertz. Two solid, solid picks uh, if you were to start a team. And and I guess it gets into the philosophy of and 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 it's and it's not theoretical because every time we have a new league or we have an expansion team or something like that, this is what the leadership has to think about is when you start a team, what where do you start it? Is it from the back? Is it down the spine? Is it about the best soccer player? Is it about the most the fame and therefore the most attention is about the person that's going to sell the most tickets, all of that, all of that kind of stuff. I think he's probably coming at it much more from a a competitive standpoint is what are you going to build your team around? And certainly you can do much worse than Landon Donovan uh, or uh, Julie Ertz. Um, Absolutely. I would, I would agree with both of those, uh, with those things. Uh, But I, you know, I also have a belief that you need a good goalkeeper, okay? And so I, I would be tempted to go and take someone like a uh, a Tony Miola or a Tim Howard or a Hope Solo uh, right there. And I, I, I can be talked out of it, but I think that that's something that's something that I would uh, that I would do. And so if so, I'd start. So I'm starting from the back. Um, like like I said, uh, if I had if I had to pick a, a, a a male player, it would be like a Tony Miola because not only can he save the ball, but he's really good with his feet. Um, probably, if I'm looking back, when it comes to goalkeeping, he's probably the best that I've ever seen with his feet. And he, by the way, played in an era where, well, first off, the rules weren't the same. And that, even when the rules changed, it wasn't as if he was being asked to play out of the back with his feet, and yet he was as good with his feet as many field players out there. So that would, I think that would be one that I would do. Uh, and then on the other side, when it comes to the, you know, the, the female side, you know, I want a leader. And by the way, Tony's a leader. I want a leader that is able to combine it with the ability on the field. And so I would look at someone like Julie Foudy. Um, so I think those are, those are a couple that, uh, that I would go with. Any, anything stick out to you, Masi? Well, it's interesting that for the men, he went Donovan. So he valued the, the, the creativity, the, the scoring and, and, and setting up goals. And then for the women, he went Julie Ertz, more of a lunch pail, do the dirty work kind of thing. Uh, you know, the, the same line of thinking, uh, if you applied the same line of thinking with the women that he did with the men, it would be more of a Mia Hamm, a Michelle Akers, a Carly Lloyd. So uh, I'd be curious to know why he would, you know, sort of departed with the men and the women. Um, yeah, I mean, I I would want a sort of creative player to build a team around. So I, I would go Donovan or Dempsey for the men and then either Mia Hamm or Carly Lloyd or Michelle Akers for the, for the women. Oh, that's a good one. Michelle Akers is good too. And Carly Lloyd. I mean, it's interesting because when you say Carly Lloyd at her, in her prime, so when is her prime? I mean, <laughs> I don't know. And by the way, 
they're, her prime from an age perspective, if you said it was you know five years, 10 years ago or something like that, it might not necessarily be her prime from a soccer perspective. And I, she'll, she'll be the first to tell you, and she'll tell anybody that listens, that she has gotten better with age. And I'd be interested to ask Carly Lloyd maybe what, what she feels is her prime. Um, and knowing her, she'd probably say, I'm in my prime right now. How dare you? <laughs> Uh, okay, let's uh, let's go on. I think Daniel from Tuscaloosa has a question. All right, Daniel, what do you got? Hey, Alexi and uh, Mossy, this is Daniel from Tuscaloosa, Alabama. I uh, listen to your guys' uh, podcast uh, every week. Really appreciate it. Really enjoy it. Uh, wanted to ask a quick question. You guys had a, a guest on a few weeks ago that said that they thought that the U.S. would be competitive, uh, looking for maybe a win in the 2038 World Cup. Just uh, wanted to see what your guys' opinions were, if you thought that that was going to be the, the time frame. Uh, sooner or later, just uh, see what you guys think. Thanks for all you guys do. Bye. All right. Daniel from Tuscaloosa. Where's Tuscaloosa, Mossy, again? Would you know where that is? Uh, Alabama. Is it? Okay. I hear it a lot in reference to uh, football and, and stuff like that. So Alabama. Okay. Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Daniel over there. Um, he obviously listens to the pod. And, uh, you know, all of these folks are, are, by the way, giving you props, Mossy. They, they, they love you as as they should. And some... Uh, are even saying that uh, you don't get enough credit. So if that's my fault, I apologize for not giving you enough credit, Mossy. But I think I say each and every time how much I love you and how much we all appreciate what you bring to uh, to our lives and to our soccer lives. So if I have to reiterate that, I will. And yes, you are a very, very important piece and continue to be. So he wants to know, and uh, we had, uh, you know, you listened to the uh, pod where we have Stephen Mandy's son and talking about, that uh, he felt that the, the the U.S. men's national team would legitimately compete for winning a World Cup in, uh, what did he say, 38, 32, what, uh, 38? I think he said 38, yeah. What, the, what he said was uh, the 2026 World Cup being here is going to spark another boom, which is going to pay off 12 years or so after that. And so got it, got it, got it. So he wanted to know, Daniel wants to know, uh, as he said, whether we agree with that. I mean, look, as we said before, we were a handball away in 2002 from going to a semifinal of a men's world cup. So things can happen. I mean, we damn well better be competing for a world cup come uh, 2038 uh, and 2034 and 20. 30 and 2026 when it's played here in the United States. And by the way, in Qatar in 2022. And I don't think that it's just, you know, me beating my chest and waving my American flag uh, to say that kind of stuff, notwithstanding the fact that we didn't go to the World Cup last year. And I know each and every time that World Cups come around, either a player or a coach or a pundit, somebody will say, yeah, I believe that they can win it this year. And everybody will jump all over them as if saying that, um, will automatically make it not happen. Or saying that means that you have no sense of reality when it comes to what's, uh, what's, go- uh, what's going on. Is it difficult? No. Would I put all of my money in, in Vegas on that happening? Uh, no. But I, I, you know, I think that it'll happen before then. You know, you look at the wonderful talent that we have, and yes, it's, it's evolving, and there's plenty of talent around the world for other teams, other teams too. But Strange things happen, and you have to win. You don't have to win, but it's a, a seven-game type of situation here, and you don't have to win every single one of those games, and the soccer gods may smile upon you. You may get an own goal here. You may get a red card here. You may get 
something happening with the scheduling here. Could be a million different things that ultimately lead you to that path to uh, to that promised land. But I don't think, you know, once again that 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 believing and saying that you think that that can happen is out of the realm of possibility and is delusional. And a lot of people do. A lot of people feel that when you say it, you are not only hurting your credibility, but you're hurting the credibility of American soccer because they feel that it's so out of the realm of possibility and so delusional that it's actually detrimental to possibly say that. And once again, if you believe it, it has to come from a sense of something more than just your red, white, and blue coursing through your veins. And so when I say that, absolutely, there is a history. And yes, there is red, white, and blue coursing through my veins that is informing that. But I don't just say it to say it, if and when I say it. And I don't think, and I don't think a lot of people do uh, when it comes to out there, despite the criticism they, they will get. Mossy, what do you think? Did it happen before? Or well, after? Off, Who knows? You know, 42? Steven Mandis uh, did attend that Nations League final, Mexico-US, and and he, I think, was very caught up by the excitement of the game because he texted me after, afterwards, said he's moving up his timeline to 2022. He thinks they're going to win the World Cup. <laughs> um, no, but, um, well, I mean, th- is the way he framed it uh, when they're going to contend for uh, the World Cup? Because I think it's important to understand the U.S. is probably not going to win the World Cup the first time around that they have talent good enough to do so. You know, soccer history tells us that, you know, there, there are going to be some some near misses first. Uh, so I think, you know, even if you think, if even if you buy into this collection of young players now and you think that pretty soon the U.S. is going to have elite talent, it, it's still going to take a few tries at it probably to actually break through and win it. So, uh, yeah, I mean, 2038, um, that that sounds about right to me, actually. Of when when uh, maybe sooner. I, w- I would I would err on the side of sooner than later, but but I don't think twenty thirty eight is that outlandish. All right, <laughs> all right. Wait, way to go out on a limb there. Um, okay, let's uh, let's move on to Lucky from Frisco, Texas. Let's see what Lucky has to say. Hey, Alexi, this is Lucky from Frisco, Texas. Got a question that's MLS related. Um, I know the SC Dallas Academy has a great academy that produced really good players. How come that hasn't necessarily translated to the FC Dallas MLS team? Love to hear your thoughts. And Masi, I love the way you pronounce all the Brazilian players. All right, thank you. All right, Lucky. Uh, we, we've actually talked about this a lot. Um, uh, I've talked to this uh, about this with a lot of people. And it's a question that a lot of people have. But it's also not necessarily unique to FC Dallas. FC Dallas has hung their hat on development and developing young talent and having an environment that uh, not only develops, but then uh, fosters and sells on this young talent and that it is a a ripe place for not just uh, the United States, but for the world to shop in. And they have a track record in terms of the amount of players that have been developed and then have been sold on and, and, and have gone on and done and are doing uh, some good things. But they're also not the only team to establish themselves as a developmental type of environment that doesn't necessarily translate to their success uh, on the field. Um, So why is this? Actually, if you look at where the problems are from an FC Dallas perspective, it, it isn't in the development, as we said. They are able to develop players that 
have featured and have been solid players for their first team. Their problem actually has been their their scouting and recruiting and ultimately their decision-making process when it comes to the incoming talent that they haven't developed. And so they haven't been able to find that perfect marriage of the two, which you do need. You can't be all development. And maybe if you are focused on development, you certainly can't, uh, you know, go away from it and not have and not have the trust. And But when you do decide to spend money, when you do decide to go outside of your development system, you better have people in place that are able to assess what the marketplace is and able to assess the talent out there so that you're pulling somebody into this system that, 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 that works and they have not been able, uh, able to do that. Mussy, uh, you know, any, uh, any thoughts on FC Dallas or just in general when, when teams decide to go the developmental route and some of the challenges that, uh, that come up when you do that? Well, just to make Lucky happy, I'll say maybe FC Dallas should sign a Brazilian player like Eder Militão or Thiago Silva. Fred. <laughs> yeah, uh, Lucky was very, very happy. I, I mean, we've told the story about uh, uh, when I was down in Brazil. At that point, I was working with, the, with ESPN, and they had Fred playing. And so, I mean, it is the simplest possible word, word that you can get in the, uh, the, you know, the soccer broadcasting world. And yet somehow, when we all started sitting around with our Brazilian colleagues, the one-syllable, simplistic Fred turned into like a two-and-a-half-syllable Fredji, you know, that just continued on and on and on. And I know it's authentic, and I know everybody loves it when uh, when you do that, but it is amazing how uh, the Brazilian way of pronouncing things can take such a simple word and make it so complicated very, very quickly. You know what's so funny? Uh, the U.S. women just played uh, friendly against Portugal, which we did. And I put together an audio pronunciation guide of Portugal for JP Della Camera. And I made it like too authentic. And JP chastised me for that. He said, I'm not going to be able to make some of these sounds that you're saying. You, so he made me do it again, more Americanized. And that got in my head so much that when I did an audio pronunciation guide for all the teams in Copa, for all the Spanish teams, I did it super authentic, rolled the R's. And while Brazil, I went out of my way to make it Americanized. And so John Strong reached out to me and he said, you realize the Brazil one, ironically enough, ended up being the least authentic of the bunch. Like you sounded like an American saying Brazilian names. <laughs> well, every other one, you sounded like a Spanish speaking person. <laughs> oh, the pronunciation uh, culture in uh, in broadcasting soccer is, I mean, we could deep dive in that for uh, forever and all the different ways that people believe it should be broadcast, do broadcast it, or uh, have broadcast it in the past and the pronunciations when it comes to that. So good question there uh, from uh, from Lucky relative to uh, what's going on. Anything you want to say about uh, development or anything like that when it comes to uh, MLS or anyplace else? No, I mean, as far as FC Dallas, I mean, some of their prized uh, products like Wesson McKinney and Chris Richards didn't even play for them. So that that's part of the story of why it didn't, they didn't benefit on the field from it. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a matter of holding on to these guys uh, before selling them. So you get some return on the field. And, and as I've said time and time again, if that is what you are basing your entire business on, that's fine from a business perspective in terms of selling players on. But if you are calling me up and trying to sell me on that as a season ticket holder, uh, I think that's a hard sell. I, I don't, 
I don't care that you are developing talent. I don't care that I am watching players that are then are going to go on. How does that help me compete in MLS? How does that help me get any closer to an MLS cup? And if you're taking that money and driving it back into the product, that's fine. But at some point, I need to see it on the field uh, in terms of a team that I can support and I can justify spending that money on. And that's that's a balance yet that, that FC Dallas has yet to achieve. And so we'll see if they do that uh, in the future. Uh, thanks to everybody. Thanks to CW. Thanks to Daniel. Thanks to Lucky. Thanks to everybody that sent in the uh, the audio questions out there. Once again, our phone number, if you do want to be like the cool kids that are sending in the audio questions, 657-549-2297. That's 657-549-2297. If you listen to the broadcast uh, and the uh, podcast last week, you will know that one of the uh, one of the callers was really happy that there is something that is not part of social media that enables him to be a part of this uh, of part of this podcast, and it and it really it made me happy because I know we focus so much on uh, on social media out there, but um, it is you know, as I said before just a a small part of our world, and sometimes we get caught up in it. So. You don't even have to be part of the social media uh, world out there to be a part of the State of the Union. 657-549-2297. All right, Masi, we're going to take another quick break. And when we come back, I will have my one for the road. All right, we're back, and we've come to the end of yet another State of the Union, and we, we've done pretty well, Mossy, right? Uh, we're coming in just a little bit over an hour, I would say, when, it, uh, when all is said and done, so definitely shorter than most of the podcasts that we've had over the last year. We'll get you on your merry way, Mossy, so you can get uh, back to work and get us prepared and ready for all sorts of uh, Copa America stuff that's coming, MLS stuff that's coming uh, down, uh, down the pike that I know you're working very, very hard on. All right, so it's time for my one for the road. If you will remember last week, for those that you <laughs> made it to the end of the show, uh, you will know that I talked about uh, Jamie Vardy's involvement with the Rochester Rhinos um, and the resurrection, if you will, of the Rochester Rhinos, this once- storied and great uh, team in Rochester, New York. And look, Jamie Vardy's association actually made a lot of people, including myself, think about Rochester. And we haven't thought about Rochester in a long time. But, you know, I want to make a uh, an addition to the story. And, and that is this. Just because the Rochester Rhinos went away doesn't mean that soccer went away from Rochester, okay? Yes, those of us on the outside didn't think about Rochester anymore necessarily, and certainly not in the way that we had. But soccer has continued on there. And uh, when you talk about, you know, uh, teams like Flower City Union uh, over there in Rochester that plays in NISA, um, they have continued to beat that soccer drum to that community. And so in these these moments, and now with Rochester coming back in, they're going to have multiple teams now. And potentially competing teams, depending on which leagues that they're going to play in. And they're going to be competing for hearts and minds and competing for those dollars and those soccer dollars out there. And we talk about the soccer wars with a Z out there. I do think that there is enough space for multiple teams to coexist in markets, but, you know, it's a competition. And, you know, Flower City Union, what they have done out there deserves attention and deserves, uh, and deserves credit. Uh, for 
beating that drum and flying that flag uh, for a for a city and for a market that, uh, as we said, has been so important in the past. And it remains to be seen ultimately who's going to come out or if everybody can kind of survive and feed off of each other. But we also know that, you know, even in the best of times and in the best of situations, it is it is a struggle and it is a slog. And yes, it is a labor of love, uh, whether it's in Rochester or any place else uh, when it comes to the business of soccer, and in particular, the business of lower division soccer out there. It is not for the faint of heart. It is even in these heady times and these wonderful times where we have so much going for us and we've, where we've progressed and evolved so much as a soccer playing nation. It is, it is still a difficult type of proposition and a business both on and off the field. And so kudos to the men and women out, women out there who day in and day out come in and work hard for their, for their sport and for their community. Uh, people like you know, Flower City Union and what they mean and have meant and hopefully will continue to mean even as you know, new competition comes into market. And Rochester is not going to be alone in that as we see Major League Soccer coming in with a new division um, and a new league that potentially can compete against existing leagues. And once again, we'll see if the best league wins out um, or we'll see if people can coexist because the more soccer teams, the more leagues, the better off we all, because then there's the more opportunity, more opportunity for players, more opportunity uh, for uh, men and women um, off the field to be involved in front offices, more coaching opportunities for men and women. And that's what we want. We want people to have that ability to look at soccer and to see a future in soccer. Now I do, uh, clubhouses and spaces. And many, many times over, uh, over the last year, I've talked to people who have said, I want to be in soccer. I want to work in soccer. They don't look at it as a way station. They don't look at it as something that's just passing through in order to get to another sport, a bigger sport. They want to be involved in soccer. And the more soccer teams we have, the more soccer leagues we have, and the more people fighting day in and day out and welcoming that struggle and accepting that, that labor of love, the better off it's going to be. Uh, the better pathway, and the more opportunities. And I take immense pride that things that my generation has done has made it easier for this generation. And I also give incredible thanks to the, pre- the generation that came before me that enabled me to have more opportunities. And you're, you know, you're passing it on, and that's what we're doing. So um, shout out to uh, Flower City Union. Hopefully they'll send me something because uh, I really like their, uh, their logo. It's really kind of cool. You should check it out. It's nice and simple in a day and age where we talk so much about logos. And by the way, the Chicago Fire, um, the re-rebrand has happened. So you should check that out in the, uh, in the logo wars. It's not just the soccer wars. It's the logo wars and the branding wars that exist when it comes to soccer. Mossy, anything before we go? That's it. All right, we're back at it again this week, as I said, with Copa America and with some uh, with some MLS. So check us out there on uh, on Fox. And there's so much soccer going on right now. Hope everybody is having a wonderful summer. Hope everybody is staying safe and staying sane. Hope if you're lucky enough to be able to get out to an actual venue to see a soccer game or to see a concert, to see anything else. Uh, awesome. I can't wait to uh, join you and we can scream and yell together. Until next week, uh, thank you so much for tuning in and downloading and reviewing and rating and subscribing and doing all the different things that our listeners and our viewers uh, do. Thanks so much. We'll see you again next week. 
And as always, size the day. 